Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Any problem is solvable if you know the right questions to ask. If you're brave enough to, A, brave enough to recognize that you don't know the answer, admit that you don't know the answer and say, I am going to find that for you and solve those problems. And that's actually one of the things I love about design because it is so much of it, it is a creative piece, but it also is a lot about problem solving. It's a puzzle. And that piece of it is always just really satisfying to me to find those solutions. Welcome to Imprint a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Imprint. I'm very excited to share my conversation today with Erin Heemstra, 
Some of you may know of her from the blogging days. She had a blog called Apartment 34. We talk about how she transitioned from the world of blogging to now more recently having set up her own design studio called Studio Travato, which she has with Jeannie Chan. They are based in the San Francisco area and we talk about setting up your first design business, getting those first clients, how to charge for your services and also how she shows up on Instagram and seeks inspiration all around her. I really enjoyed learning more about Erin and I'm sure that you are going to as well. So please enjoy my conversation with Erin Heemstra. Hi, Erin. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you and really looking forward to learning more about you and your journey and to, to working in the world of interiors and all things creativity. So I usually like to start at the beginning and find out a little bit about your journey to where you are now. In particular, I'm always curious to know, uh, were you creative as a child? What was your childhood home like? Can you just shine a little bit of a light on that part of your journey? And then I guess uh, moving into more of those teenage years where you start to have to think, what am I actually going to do uh, once I leave school? What are my interests? Um, always curious to learn that. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. You've been such a longtime inspiration to me. So I'm just thrilled to be here. Um, and it's so funny to think about where I am now and going back to my childhood, because I would say I never really thought of myself as a creative kid or person. Like I didn't consider myself artistic. I was a dancer. Um, so that was an outlet and I like to write and things like that. But really, you know, I was an athlete. I was very focused on sports. Um, I was very academic. Um, I liked, you know, doing well in school. And I grew up, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s. I did not have a particularly aesthetically um, uh, pleasing home, I would say. I mean, my bless my mother still lives in the rust orange and avocado green um, and gold goldenrod uh, kitchen of my youth still exists in, an in its exact form. It's actually kind of back in vogue now, I guess. Um, it was just like very 70s rust shag carpet. But when I do think about as my kind of journey into design, you know, has evolved over years and years and years. One thing I did love to do as a child was build Legos. And I would build dream homes out of Legos that had, you know, multiple levels and rooms and all of those things. So that was like one little hint. So I always used to love to meticulously arrange every little item in my bedroom, every little glass figuring on my desk, every stuffed animal along my bed, everything just had to have its place and be just so it was kind of my own little universe. So I think that was my other hint. But then I really did not pursue anything creative for years and years after that. I actually went to university and studied political science um, and was have always been very passionate about politics, which we will not discuss in this podcast, um, but actually then went on to get a master's degree in uh, public policy from a university in uh, Washington, D.C., and started the first decade of my career out of school in politics. Um, I actually worked for a United States Senator in Washington, DC, and I'm originally from Seattle. Um, and once I moved back, I did move back to Seattle 
in the early 2000s. And then I worked exclusively with nonprofit organizations um, in the arts and education and was doing that for more than, oh, more than a decade before really design got on my radar at all. Wow. I didn't realize that about you. That's so interesting. So then, so then how, how did you then start dipping your toe into the world of interiors? Well, what it started at all and what is the, the impetus for my long running design and lifestyle blog, Apartment 34, was the purchase of my first home in Seattle. I bought a condo um, that was number 34 in a 1904 building in Seattle, kind of a historic, really small building, which not a lot of those exist actually in Seattle because it's not a terribly old city. Um, but it had not, it had the original pine floors, it had the original crown molding, but it also had watermelon pink striped wallpaper through the whole <laughs> um, apartment. It had uh, metal stamped, beautiful metal stamped um, treatment on the walls and the ceilings on the kitchen, which was lovely that the previous owner had painted canary yellow. <laughs> um, let's see, what else did it have? It, but it had beautiful picture rails. Um, you know, it had linoleum, kitchen floor and bathroom floor. And this was in the, you know, the very nascent stages of design blogging where sites like Decorate and Design Sponge and Apartment Therapy were just starting. And I thought, well, I don't really know anything about design, but I know I need to renovate and redesign this apartment. So I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to talk about my inspirations and I'm going to ask for advice and see what happens basically. And that was in about 2007, I think. Um, and it was, you know, obviously just a hobby that I was doing at night. I had a full-time day job, um, really didn't know what I was talking about. I just knew, I knew what I liked and didn't like. And so I just started sharing inspirations and and ideas and i think the best thing i ever did was i just did it consistently i did it every day it became such a, a, a it became a creative outlet it became a community very quickly it was so different back then um made amazing connections with people all around the world many of whom i'm still in touch with today and that's really how it all started um of course, you know, cut to a few years, I never actually ended up renovating that apartment because six months after I purchased it, I met my now husband. And, you know, a year or two after that, we moved in together and ended up leaving Seattle and moving to San Francisco. Um, so apartment number 34, I did take down the watermelon pink wallpaper. That did go away. It got repainted. Um, but other than that, I really never got to realize my renovation dreams um, in that space, but that's kind of what sparked it all. I'm curious for you because I was blogging around the same time. I actually just quickly looked because I'm so bad at remembering dates. And I had a blog called Daily Imprint, which I started in 2007. So it was very much oh, around so that same period of time. And, and like you say, you know, like people were very supportive of each other and sharing. And I think for me, it was, yeah, it was such a creative outlet. And I'm just curious for you, at what point did you, with that, start thinking, hmm, you know, like I'm really enjoying this whole world. 
did you did you monetize the blog? Did you want to, did you have ideas of taking it full time? Can you just talk us through like that kind of period of having the blog and thinking about your eyes opening, I guess, to a whole new world and thinking, do I continue with my day job or do I start to pursue something new? Such an organic growth and, um, you know, a time of everything just kind of happening in real time because no one had done anything like that before. So it was just a natural evolution. As I said, it was, you know, something I did in the evenings that I was just a passion project that I just loved, but it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And by that time I was working, my day job was in, as I mentioned, in marketing and um, communications and events, which was also a slight creative outlet for nonprofit organizations. Um, but the blog just kept going and going. Then of course I got engaged and planned a wedding. Um, blogging about weddings was very big back then. So I got to incorporate that into my site. I started talking more. That was the first time that I ever actually started talking about myself. I had been a not, that was in 2010. I stayed fully anonymous in the blogging world for the first three and a half years because um, I didn't ever want anything to be about me or have anyone actually know anything about me personally. Um, but when the wedding piece came up, then obviously that was a huge just part of my life. And so I was, you know, it was very, again, very organic. I was always just talking about what I was passionate about and obsessed with at that moment. Um, so that continued to help it grow. And, you know, and then my wedding was featured on large wedding blogs, like Style Me Pretty and, you know, all green wedding shoes, these sites and Martha Stewart. Um, and it just, again, it kind of took on a life of its own. It just kept growing and growing and growing. And I was enjoying it so much. And when um, my then husband and I relocated from Seattle to San Francisco, it was the opportunity for me to kind of reevaluate what I wanted to do um, because we relocated for his job. And I assumed that I was just going to keep working in PR and marketing and that's what I was going to do. Um, but monetization had become an you know, a piece of it back then. It was display advertising. I mean, can you imagine anyone making money off of display advertising now? Um, but you could sell banner ads on your site and make real money. Um, and so I had started doing that. Uh, so, so there was a revenue generation piece that was starting to happen. Um, affiliate marketing wasn't really a thing yet. So it wasn't about linking to products or making, um, you know, making any revenue that way. But after about, I can't remember now if it was six months to maybe nine months after we'd moved to San Francisco and I was working in a PR agency and all the clients were technology companies, finance, like just really dry <laughs> stuff. And my site had still just kept growing and growing and growing. And I just said, I'm miserable. I want to try this. Can't I let's what let's let me go for six months. I'm going to try it for six months and see what happens. And in less than a year, I had five employees. I was by that point producing almost all of my own original content. Um, and that was probably 2012, 2013. I ended up, or I can't remember now if it actually was 2013 or 2014, or no, it must've been 2013. I got tapped by Sunset Magazine, a very um, well-known long-running magazine um, that's based here in California. At that point, it was based in Palo Alto. I got tapped to be one of five 
up and coming designers to design a room in their sunset idea house, an annual um, design challenge that they did. And so then, then it was off to the races. Um, and I was just all in, we were producing entertaining stories and dinner party stories and design and decorating stories. Cause now I had, you know, a new apartment in San Francisco that needed to get decorated. And, you know, we moved multiple times. And so all of a sudden it was just constant content creation and just constant inspiration travel. I mean, it was, that was the heyday. That was, that was definitely the most fun. You know, all of a sudden I was going to New York fashion week and I was attending design conferences and blogging conferences. And it was a whole, it was a whole moment. And I still to this day feel incredibly lucky that I hit that wave when I did, because it's just, it, you know, pulled me into this incredibly inspiring community, you know, primarily of women. Um, but that I, that I still am inspired by. And I mean, I can, I'm thinking of my Instagram feed right now and just, you know, literally hundreds of people that I follow that I have known and followed and met in person have known for, you know, 15 years or more now, which is kind of mind boggling. So tell us then, you know, what happened next? Cause obviously we, we all know that blogs, kind of petered out a little bit and Instagram took over and I'm curious, you know, you're talking about having five people working with you. I mean, that's exciting, but it's also a kind of big responsibility as well. Um, how did you pivot during that time? Yeah. Well, another little, uh, very little known fact about my history is along with the political side of my background, at the height of my blog, I was also doing con consulting work um, on content, and that was, and I ended up working with William Sonoma, the family of Williams brands at William Sonoma, which is, you know, obviously a large company based here in San Francisco. And um, after working with them to help them launch um, a new brand within the company, I got offered a job, a full-time job there. And I still had my blog and I still had employees. Um, but my husband and I knew that we were going to maybe want to have kids and we wanted to purchase a home. And so I thought it was a brilliant idea to take the full-time corporate job and still attempt to run my business with wow. <laughs> um, my employees. Um, that did not go quite as well as I had hoped. I think my stomach was a little bit too big, you know, brain and tigs. I don't know what the right metaphor is, but um, yeah, that didn't, that did not work out quite as well. I could not manage a high pressure um, corporate job and run my own business and be an effective boss um, <laughs> at all. It happened to coincide with that time where blog started shifting. YouTube was really coming in huge. Instagram had been invented by this time. Um, Twitter, you know, I mean, when we started in 2007, none of Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, none of them existed. I mean, yeah. it's just fascinating to think about all of the things that we had to do. Um, and, you know, had to learn as we went. So things were starting to shift. I also um, ended up having a son in 2015. And so my priorities then, of course, significantly shifted. Um, and so I started trying to figure out 
how to balance it all. And the, the first thing that actually fell off was the corporate job. I decided that, that I couldn't, that it wasn't the spot for me, that I really did enjoy the creative um, entrepreneurship and that that's what I was most passionate about. So I ended up leaving. Um, but of course, in that interim time, my website had shrunk a little bit because I wasn't be able, I wasn't able to devote nearly as much of my dedicated time and attention and focus on it. Um, so after I left William Sonoma, my son was about a year old, and my business went back down to um, just me, <laughs> and that was an interesting transition. I was really trying to figure out you know, how, what I was passionate about by this point. Um, we had moved twice. So I had decorated another apartment in the city, but we really wanted to purchase a home. And so actually I'm even thinking about it in real time. The other major moment was in 2014, my husband and I had been house hunting. I'm sure people have read the news stories that San Francisco is a notoriously horrible place to attempt to buy a home. It's incredibly expensive. It's insanely competitive, particularly back then. Things have shifted a little now in our post-pandemic times. But in the before times, it was crazy. We lost, I think, six or eight houses that we had attempted to make bids on. We had been looking for more than nine months. And then we stumbled on a 150-year-old Victorian in a in a lesser known part of the city that had only had were only the fifth owners so it had only had four owners at the time and it had not been touched since probably the early 1970s and it was a hot mess and i walked in and immediately said yes this is the house we need to buy <laughs> <laughs> we we have to we this is it um and by some miracle we got it and so that was another huge shift because that was in the summer of 2014. My son was born in 2015, um, which is when we started the renovation process. And I left my, my full-time corporate job um, just before he turned a year. So we were thick in the design and renovation of which I um, did all of the design work myself. Um, during that time. And that's when I really realized like, okay, I really love this. Um, I'm really, you know, I loved creating the content, but as content got more and more sponsored and more and more, you know, being driven by brands, branded content, that actually was less fulfilling to me than just a fully immersive um, creative process that was very open-ended and didn't kind of have, you know, brand guidelines or an agenda behind it. Um, so the, the, in about, I would say 2016, 2017, my joy and love of blogging really began to diminish. Um, as the pressures of it mounted, it became harder and harder to generate revenue. There were so many platforms that you had to create content for. So the workload increased dramatically while the revenue was at least for in my experience was decreasing. Um, so it became harder and harder to feel really motivated. And, and of course, the community changed. I mean, you know, it used to be you would post a blog post and you would get hundreds of comments and be 
engaging in dialogue with these commenters. I mean, I, I am friends with people that I met who just followed my site. And to have that kind of fall off as, you know, as our attention spans shrank and, you know, the number of characters that we were allowed to type on <laughs> Twitter and everything got tiny, that level of connection also began to recede. And I think that also, so that also took away some of the joy of it for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I can, I, I, it's all so vivid. I mean, you're bringing in all the memories back of all right, of those things. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I was the same in the sense of, um, you know, I kind of worked in a magazine background and so much of that was driven by advertising and tailoring things to advertisers. And, and when blogs kind of went down that path, I was like, I, I just wasn't interested in personally doing that kind of thing. I know that you can you know, monetize things in that way. But I don't know, I, I, I was with you in the sense of just really wanting to pursue the creative side of it. So then, so then what happened next then? So how did you fill us in the gaps between then and then where you are now? Yeah. So I, you know, I did keep, keep the blog trucking along and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I did begin to say to friends I won't take all the blame. Obviously, it's not entirely my fault, but I did start saying to friends, if I'm still blogging when I'm 40, will someone please <laughs> stop me? Like I need to find, I need to figure out how to, what my next evolution is going to be. Well, I turned 40 in November of 2019. And we all know what happened in early 2020. <laughs> yeah. So apologies. Apologies. I put that out into the universe that something dramatic <laughs> needed to happen so that I would stop <laughs> blogging and the entire world shut down. Um, it was you, Aaron. <laughs> to everyone. No, um, definitely not. But that, but it, I, it was the pandemic that was the catalyst really to make me fully shift because my husband and I, bless him, did attempt, he was fully supportive that, you know, that was my business and, and what I did and I was going to keep doing it. So we attempted to work, um, each of us work part-time and take care of my son who was four at the time, uh, just turned four, actually he turned four during the pandemic. Um, and we, uh, you know, almost lost our minds. And, you know, we're teetering on the edge of divorce, I think. And so I said, okay, I will stop. You work full time. Obviously, like that makes more sense from an economic perspective. And I will stop. And we, for however, we don't know how long this is going to go on. And we will just figure it out. Um, luckily, at that point, um, I had completed the renovation of our home in San Francisco. And in September of 2019, it was photographed and featured um, in January of 2020 in Domino Magazine, which was a huge um, milestone for me and a real honor. And just, I was so proud to have this space um, published and out in the world. Um, and I had collaborated with a couple of interior designer friends. And of course I have a huge just friend group of designers um, in the Bay Area because I've, you know, been in that space for more than a decade. And I began thinking like, oh, you know, and I loved doing our house so much. And I was thinking, you know, is that something I could do? But, you know, do I really have a background? Do I really have the credentials? A lot of, you know, a lot of imposter syndrome was in my head, a lot of fear, quite honestly. 
but it was just percolating, percolating. And then during the pandemic, we, I ended up renovating another home and designing that home. So I did another huge renovation, managed another huge renovation project. And, you know, still just in the back of my mind, started thinking people over the years have DM'd me and asked like, do you do design? Could you help me with this room? Could you help me with a kitchen? Could you help me with that? And occasionally I would say yes, but I was, I was like, well, no, that's not, you know, I'm a blogger. That's not actually what I do. I don't know what, would anyone actually trust my vision or my creativity? I feel so insecure. And then coming out of the pandemic, um, one of, uh, one of my closest friends in San Francisco who I met through blogging more than a decade ago, who she also has a background in um, the creative world. She actually had run her own paper goods company for about seven years, but she had also renovated a home during the pandemic. And as we came out of things in 2022, we had a lunch and we said, we're both ready to do new things. You know, it's, it feels like kind of a rebirth moment for everyone. Um, my passion for design is just like going gangbusters. Hers was too. And we said, what if we, what if we start something together? And what started as a conversation over a casual sushi lunch, I think maybe the first restaurant I'd eaten at in two years, two and a half years, however long it was, turned into what is now called Studio Travato, which is an interior consultancy that we soft launched in the summer of 2022 and officially launched actually a year ago right now um, in San Francisco. And we offer in really the full range of interior design services, but we differentiate ourselves in that we are sell, see ourselves as creative directors. We'll help you create, you know, set the creative direction for your house. We'll help you source. We can help you manage renovations. We really can plug into anyone's design needs. We're just looking, we're looking to match with folks who really have a connoisseur's mindset, are passionate about slow design, vintage, um, local artisans. We're really wanting to we feel like both of us have felt like interiors have kind of gone the way of fast fashion a little bit where the trend cycle had gotten so fast and it was all about, well, you know, here's the next color of the year and here's the next, you know, you need these pillows for this season and this curtains for that season. And this idea that you should be changing your home every three months, which we just thought was kind of ludicrous. And that in fact, the opposite is true that a home should just be a very slow evolution that follows you along on your own life journey. Um, my homes have certainly done that. I would be almost embarrassed if anyone was to Google the original apartments that I had featured on different design blogs in the early 2010s, because my aesthetic is nothing like it was 15 years ago. Um, and so we're really excited to be now working with, um, private clients, residential projects, commercial projects. We have, we're working in hospitality. Um, and it's just, it's really a dream come true. It's been just absolutely fantastic. And I'm loving every second of it. That's so good. Um, I'm definitely going to kind of loop back or come back to your, your own style. And I've got so many questions about that. But just with this business, um, Studio Travato, I mean, you've sort of touched on a little bit some of the projects that you're working on. But um, 
I, something that comes up, you know, I teach a couple of courses, uh, like on styling and, and some other ones and something that comes up so them. often. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, I so, took them years and years ago. <laughs> there we go, everyone. An endorsement from Erin. Um, but oh, what strongly I, endorsed. <laughs> um, what comes up though, for so many people is that kind of like you and me, you know, people have this, they discover this love of interiors and they want to do something in the world of interiors. But like you say, they have all these imposter syndrome kind of elements of like, oh, but I haven't gone to design school or I haven't done this. First of all, I'm curious to learn, you know, how you kind of reframe that. And secondly, um, I would also like to dig in a little bit. How do you get your first clients? Like how have you, and that renovation project, you said you renovated your home and then you did another renovation. Was that for somebody else or was that for yourself? I'm just curious about that, you know, that transition as well. Oh, yes, exactly. No, totally. And I, I, I'm interested in, constantly interested in how other designers have done it as well. Yeah. That the second renovation was actually also for ourselves. Um, we ended up purchasing a home closer to family in a really rural area of, back near Seattle. Um, and two days before we closed on that property, it flooded. Oh. <laughs> it completely flooded out and um, did, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of damage. And so all of a sudden, we had not planned on renovating it a renovation was required because we had to rip out floors and we had to rip out drywall and and redo really half of the house and so at that point we were like well <laughs> we're in it now so here we go um and so that was actually a really fascinating experience because that was during the pandemic and so i was designing and designing the designing everything and managing the remodel remotely um, I was able, you know, to travel really sporadically. We would drive actually from San Francisco to Washington State because no one was flying. Um, it takes 12 and a half hours door to door, oh, by the way. Gosh. We only make three stops. We got it down to a science um, to cross three straits, three states in the United States. Um, but that was a, an amazing experience. I think that definitely, I think, boosted my confidence a little bit that I could manage a DC and a general contractor and manage subcontractors and source materials and, you know, get everything there and get everything installed and all of those things, even if I wasn't on site. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of one of those experiences that, sorry, that you kind of, all, I'm sure you probably think like, if I could do that, I can do anything, <laughs> you know, exactly when you're going back to the bones as well. Exactly. So that was a bit, that was in, in back to your question of, you know, how have I, how have I gotten to myself being like, yes, I can step into this world of design. I would say, you know, that project was a big confidence boost that, you know, I, I do have experience under my belt. I, I, I am beginning to understand this world. And I would also say, I really looked back at, you know, I didn't go to design school for two years or four years or get a certificate, but I've been in design school for the last 15 years and just have been immersed in it from a million different perspectives, whether that's in-house at a major, you know, home furnishings company, understand, learning about the, you know, home furnishings 
retail business and how home goods are made to then, you know, being in design media and following design trends and, and, and the industry for literally 15 years um, and just constantly, constantly, constantly learning. And so I, and, and I also realized that you, you're not an island. You don't do this alone. And there are a plethora of experts. And that's one thing I think that, you know, really just comes not only from experience, but also just age, <laughs> just where I am in life, realizing you recognize your strengths and play to those strengths and then understand your weaknesses and bring, buttress them with people who can help you. And that's exactly how we've structured Studio Trovato. Um, so when we need expertise that we don't have, we bring it in from the outside. And that is, you know, any problem is solvable if you know the right questions to ask, if you're brave enough to, A, brave enough to recognize that you don't know the answer, admit that you don't know the answer and say, I am going to find that for you and solve those problems. And that's actually one of the things I love about design um, because it is so much of it, it is a creative piece, but it also is a lot about problem solving. It's a puzzle. And um, that piece of it is always just really satisfying to me to find those solutions. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much there. I mean, I think, like you said, um, I mean, my experience is similar as well that, you know, I haven't gone down the traditional route and in terms of going to design school, but being immersed in this world in so many different ways over the past, you know, 15 or so years. And I think that there are so many facets to it and, and having a very confident sense of your own style is a huge part of it. Before we talk about that though, I, I do want to just touch back on again, that idea of, um, you know, getting those first clients. Cause I think that's such a hurdle for so many people of, you know, they want yes. to work in the world of interiors, but it's like, but how do you get people to take you on, um, you know, or become, for them to become your client and, and then charging for your services. I, I love asking this because I think it's something that is something that holds so many people back and they just, it's kind of like this enigma <laughs> to so many people. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I, I, you know, I feel like I do have a little bit of luck on my side in that because I did have apartment 34 for so long. I do still um, the blog is not currently maintained anymore. The site still exists. You can still go there and all of the archives are there. Um, but I haven't maintained the site since kind of mid pandemic. Um, but I do maintain my Instagram. I have a really large Pinterest following. So I did have platforms that I could announce basically that I was offering design services. I had taken on some clients, um, individually. And then when Jeannie Chan and my partner and I team, my business partner and I teamed up, um, we, I had a couple of clients that had been referred to me or literally had shown up in my DMs and said, you know, would you, I'm really, I really love your style. I really love your aesthetic. Would you be willing to help me with this room? And, you know, small, small projects, help me update my kids' rooms or help me you know, figure out how to remodel my kitchen. And I started saying yes to those. So I had a couple of clients on board when, um, that I was just doing privately when we decided to launch Studio Travato. So we started, we kind of saw those as kind of our kind of test ground. You know, how would this go? Would we work well together? Would the clients be happy? Were we happy 
you know, really stepping into this world and saying, we're going to start offering these services because design really is a, you know, it is a service industry. And that's, we, that's a really critical piece of it. It's not just creating pretty spaces. Um, And that was going really, really well. And so then we just, the two of us made announcements really across our social platforms and started offering um, hour long consulting calls. And as a means of, you know, basically entree to potential clients and also entree to people who were interested in our perspective and our expertise, but might not have the funds to do a big project right away, but just, you know, wanted advice on a sofa or maybe how to, you know, renovate a bathroom or just bought a house. How would they even go about furnishing it? And so that's really where we started. Um, was just offering hour-long consulting sessions, and we still continue to do that. Um, on a, we don't have nearly as many slots open these days. So we do it on kind of a small, kind of exclusive basis. Um, basically, we'll announce when we have you know half a dozen slots available, and when they're booked, they're booked. Um, but that's been extremely successful. It's and it's you know, I'm sure you've heard of the expert here in the United States. I feel like it's a model that a lot of people are trying out. I just read about another um, company based in the U, oh, either the UK or Sweden that's also starting something similar, um, allowing designers to do these kind of hour long consulting sessions, and we've found them to be very fruitful. And how did you work out how to charge, how much to charge, particularly if there's two of you as well? I'm curious how you divvy up the kind of the roles within what you do. Yeah, it's it's worked out extremely well. Um, I serve as the creative director for our studio and really lead that initial creative direction for any of the projects that we're taking on. And um, my business partner, Jeannie, is our chief operating officer, and she of course, contributes creatively to all of our projects, but she's really keeping all of the trains running on time and steps in and leads as we begin more of the sourcing and procurement um, stage of a project because um, she loves to hunt for that like perfect piece. That is her, um, just like her passion. And I love setting that 40,000 foot vision. And But that is an excellent question of trying to figure out how to charge. And we certainly talked about that. Um, and, you know, there's large debates happening in the design industry. Should you charge hourly? Should you charge a percentage basis of a budget? Um, and we are keeping things very flexible right now as, you know, we've only been in business for a year. We're still um, really seeing what works for our clients. And, what, and I think it also really depends on where you are geographically and where your clients are geographically. And thus far, at least all of our clients happen to be in the Bay Area. I will put out there and manifest that my dream scenario is to actually have international clients and to be working you know, around the world. Um, but right now we are based in the Bay Area. So we've really modeled our rates and our billing structure kind of just on what the kind of industry standard is in this geographic area. And, and is that an hourly rate or do you um, do like a package or how, how roughly? Like we, how off, do you, we offer both. both. So we do our, right. primarily we do it because people's, people's comfort levels vary. Um, so in, for, in some, for example, our hospitality clients, commercial clients, it's more typically a percentage based fee structure, whereas a number of our residential clients preferred 
um, hourly rates, particularly if the project is smaller in, in scale. Um, that just made, has made more sense and has worked um, really well. And so um, actually one more practical kind of question. So do you, um, do you outsource kind of the design drawing side of things or are there elements that you design uh, sort of outsource or is that not something that you offer as part of your service or did you actually teach yourself how to use design programs? I do know how, I've taught myself how to use things like SketchUp, um, but any type of technical drawing, construction drawings, CAD that we bring in, um, we've, we've actually brought on um, members to our studio that, you know, our architects and things that do that for us. So we've got that um, expertise within the studio to produce construction drawings or any technical specifications that are necessary um, for projects. I think that's so helpful to share. And, you know, I hear this a lot from many interior designers that, um, you know, you can outsource these things. And there are people who specialize in, you know, the drawing side of, of design. And there are so many different areas of specialty. And I think sometimes that's something that holds a lot of people back that like, but I don't know how to do the technical drawings. But you might have so many skills and so many things to offer to clients beyond that and that is something that you can loop in with some someone else and kind of you know outsource it as, as it were so I I just it's exactly. really interesting to me I hear it so often from interior designers and yet it's one of those like biggest stumbling blocks for so many people who are considering moving into the world of interiors of not knowing how to do that so yeah I think that's really great it, that you it share. really is and I would say you know in this world now where you can be connected with anyone around the world I mean just the example of 3d renderings which are you know obviously and becoming more and more kind of the industry standard but we don't have the I don't have the technological capability to create a 3d render but there's literally just I've I've found people who and companies who do it just on Instagram and have you know I have a whole database of different companies and 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 or individuals that we could go to for 3d renders who are all over the world people in Australia people in South Africa people in you know Eastern Europe South America you don't you don't have to, don't think that just because you can't do everything yourself that you're not capable and that you can't bring value to a client or that you're not a designer because I don't ever tell anyone oh well I'm an interior designer because no I didn't go to school for that but I have a vision and I have a perspective and I have a passion and can help someone realize the vision for their home and that's what i've realized if you are capable of doing that then you're capable of stepping into this industry now am i going to be capable of running a successful business in the industry time will tell i'm a year in but but i have very high hopes <laughs> I'm sure you can do it. If you can do that renovation in the middle of a pandemic, you can do anything. <laughs> I'm sure of it. So let's, let's talk about your style. You've mentioned that you grew up in a home with uh, avocado and I think you said orange. You lived in an apartment with pink and white striped walls. How would you describe your own personal style and how has that evolved over the years? That's an excellent question. Um, I would say I'm one of those people who, who point of view has definitely 
evolved with my life, my lifestyle, where I've been slowly over time. I'm not one of those, you know, you see those people who just like have such a distinct personal style and it's kind of who they were since they, maybe since they were a child and it's just always stuck with them. And um, I was always a little bit envious of those people because I felt like I was often searching for my style. But now that I've kind of hit this life stage, I feel like, well, no, this was actually, I was just information gathering really my whole life and really coming to have confidence in my own point of view. Um, I think it, you know, it was always a bit shaky for a really long time. I wasn't sure, you know, I was very easily influenced by what I was around or what, where I was located, what other people were doing. But I've really honed in on this style of what I call casual elegance, where there's a little bit of a, a refined and sophisticated edge to my aesthetic, but it's still relaxed. It's still comfortable. Um, it's still approachable, but in a way that's just a little bit elevated um, is really how I've come to describe it. And I've actually had other people say that to me and I'm like, oh, okay. Then I think, I think we've hit the sweet spot. If someone else can describe my aesthetic in a way that I'm like, yes, that's it. Um, I think I've really, really found, and, and my business partner and I are both kind of of the same mind. We, we take a lot of influence, international influence. Um, I'm actually regular, very influenced by Australian designers. I fall, I have followed Australian design magazines for years, more than a decade, and love the interior design that comes out of Australia. Um, and similarly with design that comes out of Scandinavia. Um, so our, our aesthetic is a little bit of a combination of those things with a little bit of Asian influence thrown in. And then of course we are in California. So we get a little bit of that California casual, but just a hint, like we really that isn't really our inspiration. Um, that's a, that's a, a very, I think, specific aesthetic that anyone could immediately visualize. And that's not really what um, we're interested in producing. We're very passionate about vintage and um, bespoke and finding those unique pieces that offer soul and personal story to a space. And what I remember from your style, and that's what I'm curious about, because obviously you've been in so many of these very colorful homes, is that, I mean, you do have quite a neutral color palette within your interiors, don't you? It's true. Yes. I have a slight aversion to color. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love color. And I will proudly say that actually a project that we're working on right now happens to be a couple who are originally from Australia, and they love color. And so I'm really being pushed out of my own personal design comfort zone um, in that project, but it's been so much fun um, to to stretch in that way. Um, but I think because I'm constantly looking at design and inspiration, art, and you know, just really always taking in visual stimulate stimulation i feel like my own personal spaces need to be neutral for the most part so that just my eyes and brain can rest a little bit 
Um, I also think it's my antidote to having a small child <laughs> because there are lots of very colorful and loud toys in my house. Um, so the rest of the space has to be neutral so that those don't drive me crazy. Yeah, don't worry, I can relate to that as well. Um, now, I wanted to ask you as well about Instagram. I'm curious on your take on it. Obviously, you know, we've touched on that you kind of come from the blogging world, how you've transitioned to Instagram, how you choose to show up on there, um, what works for you. I think Instagram is kind of like that love, hate, sometimes exhaustion kind of feeling for so many people. What's your relationship with Instagram sure. and how do, you how do you choose to use it? Oh, that's a, you know, that is it. That is a, you're, we're going deep now here, Natalie. That is a, that is a loaded <laughs> question. The, the love-hate relationship with our dear old Instagram. Um, you know, I'll date myself terribly than that. You know, I have rebelled against reels in such an intense way <laughs> where I just have... That, that is just the line where I was like, I do not do video. I will not. And hence my Instagram is basically like it's non-existent because if you don't do video, your content is not seen. Um, so I do have a really strong love-hate relationship with Instagram. I loved it dearly for so long, um, really engaged with it significantly, thought it was a fantastic platform and have really struggled um in the last few years since they've really buried anybody's content that isn't a real and you know just try to compete with tiktok which is another platform that i refuse to do because i am old and i i just can't i can't i can't do dances i can't be funny in 15 seconds it's just i'm just like i know my limits people and my limit is reels and tiktok um, so I, I, Instagram is a bit of a conundrum for me right now because I, st and I'm being totally candid. I, um, still really obsess about the aesthetics of the image of the images that I post, which I know, or at least I understand is very antiquated. Now the kids all want authenticity and, you know, real, just like the messiness of life. And it's just really hard for me to ever want to share that because, that's just not, you know, I spent a decade just creating beautifully curated images and feed and like obsessed about the order of the images on the grid, which no one looks at now, which I intellectually know, but I still can't drop the, <laughs> the obsession. Um, so I tried, I, I'm trying to just release my attachment to success, quote unquote success on Instagram whatever that definition is, whether that's followers or likes on a post. Um, and I'm just trying to post the way I used to, which is when I feel inspired, when it's authentically something that I want to share, um, when it's a beautiful image. I have dipped into reels a little bit, but they take me hours. And <laughs> embarrassingly, I mean, it really takes me so much time to do a reel. Um, I need a consultant to help me with my reels. I'm going to, I need a, I need a freelancer. So I need to outsource that. Um, but I, but I know it's such a key piece of marketing, especially for designers. I mean, some of my favorite designers who I think are doing spectacular work are also brilliant marketers on Instagram and have hundreds of thousands of followers and, you know, get tons of comments. And that is where they are getting clients. I mean, we have to be real 
and the conversation that I'm constantly hearing and design podcasts and things now is, you know, is our clients going to come from TikTok? Um, and a lot of people are saying, yeah, you got to be on TikTok if you want to get clients because that's where clients are going to be. Um, you know, I've yet to see that come to fruition. The clients that we've been getting are all through mostly through referrals and through our consulting, as I mentioned, our, you know, our hourly consulting, which I mentioned earlier. So I'm trying to release the pressure on Instagram and just let it go back to being an inspirational and fun platform. And also, and it is such a huge tool now too, because it's where I find woodworkers and other vendors and artisans that, I, that I'm working with. It's where I find artists that I want to maybe commission pieces for, for projects. It's where I find, you know, a new lighting designer or new tile or stone, or, I mean, I am, that is where I now rabbit hole on Instagram is with it as a tool um, for, for my business at less than a broadcast tool about my business, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's going to be so interesting to see. I feel like, I know everyone's talking about TikTok, but I feel that unless Instagram pivots in some way, I feel people are more and more disenchanted with it. I feel that there's going to be something mm -hmm. else that comes along. I know some people have mentioned a few other things, um, but when I've looked at them, it's like, no, there's not that, that there's not that momentum behind it. Like there's got to be enough momentum. And I mean, yeah, it, it'll just be really interesting to see how it all evolves. So I was just curious on your take and perspective on it. Cause I mean, as you said, I mean, you still have, managed to find kind of clients and I certainly use it for finding, you know, various, like you say, trades and, um, you know, craftspeople and artists and all of those things. So it's, it's, it is a great tool in some ways, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. So I also, just before I go into the last questions that I ask everyone, I also just wanted to ask you a little bit about how you structure your days, your weeks, your projects, your process. I think it's always really interesting to get a little bit of an insight into, into that. And um, I'm always curious to learn. So can you share a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm lucky in that the industry of interior design gives you a lot of flexibility, which is great because um, I think my brain works better that way to not have a very you know, strap, strapped to a desk nine to five scenario. So I'm always jumping from one thing to the next. As I mentioned earlier, I have a young son. So, you know, my mornings often start just getting everybody out the door and off just, you know, we've just started a new school year um, here in the States. And so we're started a new grade. We're back in the school routine. So it's getting everyone out the door and then I'm coming back home and I might start my morning, I try to start my morning with something inspirational rather than just, you know, jumping into email or the to-do list. So I like to either, you know, read design articles or give myself 20 minutes to flip through the latest design magazine. I'm still really passionate about print magazines. <laughs> I've always loved print magazines. And luckily we have a couple of shops left in San Francisco that still sell uh, design magazines from around the world. So I make, you know, usually in at least once a month, if not every other week trip to pick up, whether that's World of Interiors or Bell or Vogue Living or, you know, House and Garden from the UK or L Decoration, all of them. Um, so things like that. And then I usually dive into creative things in the morning. I feel like that's where 
I have the most inspiration. So whether that's, you know, working on a concept for a client or um, sourcing things or planning and do working on a furniture plan for a room. And then in the afternoons, as my energy starts to wane, that's where I shift gears into my administrative tasks. Um, and that is one of the other reasons why uh, Jeannie and I started Studio Travato. Uh, Travato is uh, to find an Italian. Um, I'm sure that's where Travare comes from. And we really wanted to structure our business in a way that also works for our lives. We're both busy moms and have young children. And so it gives us the flexibility to be able to, you know, pause in the afternoons and do school pickups and schlepping kids to sports and all of those activities. And then to be able to pick things back up in the evenings if necessary. Um, but really to create a, that was the other thing is I wanted to create a balance in my life of, I think the pandemic has taught us all that, that you know, there are certain things that are really important, one of which is family and personal time and personal care. Um, you know, I make a point to work out regularly. I love to cook. So I try to cook dinner for my family every night. That's one of my ways that I really relax. Um, so that is really how my day is structured. But today is, you know, my husband's traveling for business. I'm solo parenting. I had a client have a hardware um, catastrophe uh, during an installation today. So I was running around San Francisco trying to find the right sized cabinet poles because they had to be installed today because the installer couldn't come back for a month. So you know, I spent the day frantically driving all around the city to find these poles, which we did at the, you know, the last second before I had to pick my son up from school and take him to his practice. So it's, you know, it's never a dull moment. <laughs> Yeah, but that's kind of the joy of it as well, isn't it? That, you know, that it's not necessarily just sitting at a desk, you know, nine to five and, you know, that it offers that flexibility, but you can also do, yeah, there's the variety and the fun and you can see things come to life as well, which is great. Yeah, we when we've done things like we've, we've, my Jeannie and I have instituted like once a month, we have to do an inspirational um, day of some kind, whether that's going to SFMOMA or going to, um, you know, smaller art galleries, or, you know, going to the San Francisco show house, just something that kind of feeds our creativity. And then we also, we try to do, you know, we try to go eat at the newest restaurants, because we love restaurant and commercial design. So we make sure that twice a month, we go out to lunch and go to a new restaurant and just see you know, what's happening in that so that we always look for ways to just kind of feed that creative engine too, which is, I feel so lucky that the industry affords you that ability to, to set your days and, and make sure that your energy is always sustained. Yeah. So good. All right. We're going to go into the final questions that I always ask everyone. So first of all, which five words best describe you? That's a, that is such a good question. I would say energetic, um, a little outspoken, um, nitpicky, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, driven, and um, a dreamer. What's the best lesson that you've learned? It could be in life, business. What's one of the best lessons you've learned? I think the best lesson I've learned is to when it's uh, say yes, only when it's a hell yes. 
but say yes to those yeses. Don't be afraid to say yes to those. But if it's not that, don't be afraid to say no. But that's not right for me. That doesn't that doesn't seem like the right path um, because you'll come to regret those less enthusiastic yeses. But don't be afraid when when your gut says, "Oh, this is." It could be, you know, I walked away from you know a career in the academic history and took a total left turn, and I don't regret it for a second. Yeah, I, I'm always relearning that lesson as well. You know, when you say yes to something and it's like you sort of halfway through and you're thinking, I really wish I hadn't have said yes to this. <laughs> I think particularly when you're in a, when you're a parent and you've got such limited time and it's like, you really want to make sure you, you really focus on the things that just really energize you and excite you. And anyway, that's a story for another day. It, um, <laughs> for sure. But it makes a huge, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah. What's your proudest achievement? Oh, that's a good question too. I think my proudest achievement is the fact that I've, that I have made this pivot. Um, I don't have necessarily an achievement to show for it yet. We don't have any projects that are publishable, but just the fact that I'm in the weeds and doing it and trying and, you know, being brave in this space, I feel very proud about that because it took me a lot of years to get here. What's been your best decision? Oh, that's, that's a really good question too. I think my best decision, you know, I do think timing and location um, influence a lot of how things go in your life. And I will sadly say that one of our best decisions was to relocate to San Francisco. Um, we, I do love it. And it immersed me in such an amazing supportive, creative community that really fed um, the trajectory of the last decade of my life. Yeah, it's funny. I, I kind of know so many people now who, well, I mean, when I say so many, a handful, but of people like Shira Gill, who I've interviewed for this podcast, yes. Fleming. Um, of you know, course, you're all her in, book came out yeah, today. Yeah, you're all in that area. So, um, and I've never been to San Francisco, yeah. so I'm definitely going to have to be on my, um, on my trip list oh. one time. We need you to come for sure. Yeah, it, there, it is a hotbed of creativity and particularly um, entrepreneurial creative women. It's re and and the community is very supportive. It's not a competitive or um, you know. It, it's a really it, it, San Francisco is a big city, but it's a small big city. You kind of feel like you're almost like in a town, and everyone kind of knows everyone. Um, it's really lovely that way. So, who inspires you? Oh, I take inspiration from from so many people constantly. I mean, I am so inspired by the design world writ large, whether it's design photographers, stylists, other designers, historical designers. I was reading, you know, a book about the history of Charlotte Perrand. I was, it, it, I take inspiration um, really just from everyone around me. I don't think I could name a single source. Um because I'm just, I'm literally in awe of what I see people producing all the time. What are you passionate about? I'm really passionate about this idea of slow design 
and shifting the perspective in the interior design industry that, you know, in six months or nine months or 12 months or 14 months, your home should be quote unquote done. Um, I'm eight years into our historic Victorian and it is far from done, (laughs) far, far, far from done. But I'm happy about that because my life has evolved and changed and how we live in the house has evolved and changed. And, and I'm waiting to find the right pieces, the right, and make the right design choices rather than the right now choices. And I think it's better for our mental health. It's better for our checkbooks and it's better for our planet long-term to think about design in that way. I love that. The right choices rather than the right choices now. Um, what dream do you still want to fulfill? Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but an ultimate dream is I would love to design um, space international, interna- design internationally, whether that's residential or hospitality. I would love to work on, you know, a small hotel in Mallorca or something. I just have, I have such an affinity. I've spent a lot of time in Italy. I'm really inspired by the Puglia region. Um, there's been amazing vacation and the vacation rental space, I think is really fascinating. Um, so putting out, if anyone wants me to help them design their vacation rental, that's the home that we purchased in Washington state. That was a vacation rental property that I designed. And I just find those, they're very fun when it's not something that someone's living in full time. There's kind of a freedom to the design that you get to enjoy that you don't necessarily have when, you know, you need to baby proof something or, (laughs) you know, make sure that that sofa is good for pets or things like that. Yeah, no, completely. And you're also not designing for like holding all your stuff. It's the kind of, you need to have enough storage to, you know, for your suitcase of clothes, but it, you know, and obviously kitchen equipment and so on, but it doesn't have to be, you know, so um, intricately designed in terms of like all the storage of like the winter gear and the this and the that and the other. So yeah, no, I can see that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what are you reading right now? What's on your coffee table or on your nightstand? What, what's something you're reading at the moment? Well, I feel like I have to plug, I mean, everyone and their mom has come out with a design book this fall and they're (laughs) all fantastic. I mean, you mentioned Caitlin Thumbling, a longtime friend of mine, her new book, Sense of Place, just came out. Heidi Collier's book just came out. Jake Arnold's book just came out. Uh, Let's see. um, Amber and Interiors book is about to come out. Uh, Shay McGee's book just came out. Studio Shashiri's book. I mean, there's just been a, my my stack of design books is massive, and I am one of those nerds who literally reads every single one cover to cover. Um, I love them, but I also I do try to step away from. I really could just read about design, whether it's magazines, books all day long. Um, but I do. I just started reading Rick Rubin's book on creativity which is very fun. I highly recommend. You know, he comes from the music world, but that's a fantastic one. Um, but I, I really can just sit there, whether I'm reading an article, you know, in T Magazine from the New York Times or, yeah, flipping through one of my design books. That is usually what I'm reading. I'm curious, do you read? Um, no, no, no. I'm curious, do, do you read them before you go to bed? Because that's for me, I think I, it's too much, clo- it's too close to work. And so I can't read those yeah. kind of books before bedtime. And so I tend to read something else, even if it's 
something completely different. I mean, like at the moment I'm reading this book called Platonic, which is about friendships in adulthood, which is really, really interesting. Oh, um, you know, so it can be, so be something completely different. Yeah. Um, so it can be something completely different, but I can't read design books before bed. Yeah, I am embarrassed to admit that I am not a nighttime reader because I am usually so tired at the end of the day that if I attempt to read, whether it be, you know, a nonfiction book or a novel, I'll read four or five pages and then start falling asleep and not remember what I read and then just read the same four or five pages <laughs> the next night and then the next night. And then so I never get through a book that way. So I, I am embarrassed to admit that the way I go to sleep is I usually scroll Instagram for about 15 minutes and then I go to bed. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, I, yeah, I, I it, take it, in it'll, visual it'll inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it will come when your son gets a little bit older too. Um, what are you listening yeah. to? Do you, do you like to listen to podcasts? I think you mentioned some design podcasts. What are some of your favorites? Yeah, I do listen to a lot of design podcasts, business of home and um, you know, just really any design. I did really start listening to design podcasts. Although I will say this summer, I got really addicted to Smartless, um, which is just a very irreverent podcast, you know, hosted by three celebrities interviewing celebrities. So I don't know that it offers any particularly valid wisdom, but it's absolutely hilarious to me. And it did make me just really think about how I need to laugh more. I've also been rewatching. I'm like, we need, when, where are the Meg Ryan rom-coms? Like I've been, I've watched, you know, when Harry met Sally and I just watched, you've got mail. And I was like, I just feel very nostalgic for the, I need, I need to start. I need to rewatch all the Nancy Myers movies. Like I'm in that mood. Um, for some reason, I just want some lightness and some comedy. Um, that feels really good right now. I think. Oh, I'm completely with you. I just, I really struggle and I'll put this out there. Can people still start making movies that are like fun and funny? And I just, I think we all need that kind of that light relief. And I feel that, look, I mean, you know, I love art films as much as anyone. And I, I definitely used to watch them more when I was younger, but I just, yeah, I think we need to kind of have that lightness in our life. And I feel that it's so hard to find even so many of those shows on Netflix and they're so dark, so many of them. And I was like, I don't need that. <laughs> I need some light. No, I think that's, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I mean, I was so sad. I felt like Ted Lasso kind of gave that to us for a couple of years in the pandemic, but that's gone now. And uh, yeah, I've, I want just something frothy and fun. I'm, you know, one of only like three humans in the world that hasn't seen Barbie yet. I know it's supposed to be. I haven't either. Both <laughs> fantastic, but it's, but it's also, you know, a, a wonderful feminist message, which I am fully supportive of, but I'm also like, I just, I just want, you know, a bouquet of sharpened pencils. Like that's just, I just, I'm, I'm missing that little vibe in my life right now. Well, hopefully we, we've put it out there and it will start to filter through the, the cosmos or however yes. it works. Um, Nancy so finally, Myers, make another movie. Yeah. <laughs> finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? That's a wonderful question too. I, hmm, that is a really fantastic one. I would say um, be kinder to yourself. Um you know, it's it's going to be okay. Be kinder to yourself in all facets in the, you know, in, in, in how you look and how you show up in the world in 
how you show up at work, what you're accomplishing, just recognize that if you're doing your best, that's all you can do. And, and that's good enough. I think we can be really, really hard on ourselves, especially as women. Yeah. And in this kind of day of social media and all of those things, definitely. I think it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a challenging time at times, but um, no, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Well, thank you so much, Erin. I've really enjoyed learning more about your story and um, your passion for design is, is so, you know, tangible. So really exciting to see what you create um, with Studio Travata and, um, and yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed your conversation. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. You've been, I mean, I've got all of your books stacked right in my design book library. You've been such an inspiration to me for so many years. It's just an honor to get to talk with you. Thank you. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.